is Michael Davis, and Matt asked me maybe a month or so ago um, if I wanted the opportunity to preach, and I said, absolutely. Um, I would love that opportunity to, to be here among you guys and to bring the word. Um, so I asked Matt, I'm like, is there anything you want me to, to talk about? Uh, he's like, feel free, do what you want, but there is one thing I want you to do. I'm like, okay, what do you want me to do? He's like, I need you to show everybody in the audience that I'm a nice guy. I'm like, okay, so you're gonna sit down, you're gonna be quiet, and you're gonna listen for the next two hours, okay? Make it three if you don't laugh, all right? So there we go. But no, I, I do count it as a great privilege um, to be here. So before we begin, I also would like to, to just pray and just ask God to, to be here, um, to speak through me today. So let's pray. Dear God, um, we come before you today just, just asking for your help. It's just a, a broken vessel. Um, God, I pray that you may be glorified um, in, in the lives of us today, God, that we may see you, behold you as the greatest treasure that you are. So God, use these words, um, use scripture to, to guide us and to lead us into a knowledge of who you are. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So for those of you who don't know, um, like I said, my name is Michael Davis, and I was in Costa Rica for about four years, um, from 2015 to 2019, um, in which it was like a study abroad program. I went, studied Spanish, studied Bible, did ministry, um, and then my kind of last three, last three years, I was one of the leaders, um, an intern, a director for the program, and I had a, an opportunity to lead a ministry. And so every Saturday morning at 5 a.m., we would wake up, drive three hours to our ministry, have fun there, and then on Saturday after, after church service, we would drive back another three hours. And the first three hours of the trip were always super boring because everybody was passed out in the back of the car where I, I was driving. So I made a rule on the second half of the trip that there would be no sleeping in the car, that there would be no music playing, but we would just talk and, and get to know each other because we had three hours a week with each other, so why not get to know each other? So on the way back, we would always start out with questions of just who we are, get to know each other, family, friends, what we like to do, all that kind of stuff. And then it would obviously progress to, to more interesting questions, like one of my favorites was most embarrassing story because I just find that interesting, hearing what people think is embarrassing, and for some reason, most people would have a hard time coming up with that, and I would have like five right off the top of my brain that I could just share. Um, but then questions would get, again, more in depth and focused on just life purpose. Um, questions like, I'm sure we've all asked this question, in five years, where would you like to be? In 10 years, where would you like to be? Um, just getting thoughts and, and ideas of where people would, would like to go. But then I remember this one question this one, one girl asked in my group one time. She said, regardless of practicality or circumstance, where do you see yourself in five years? And I really liked that question because the normal question is, okay, I'm going to plan my life and do this in such a way that in five years I'm gonna be here. But this question looks at, regardless of what's practical, regardless of what you think can happen, regardless of the circumstance or where you are right now, where would you like to see yourself in five years? And 
the root of that question is that of what we treasure. That is what we want. Like if, if anything was possible, where would you want to be in five years? And this, this one girl gave a response. She's like, in five years, I would like to marry a pilot and travel around the world. And I'm like, all right. I mean, that, that, <laughs> that's an honest and, and interesting question, um, an answer to that. Um, but I think that whole idea of, of what we treasure is, is something that impacts all of us. It's, it's universal. We all treasure. We all want to pursue after something. Um, even we get this in, in just life and culture um, is we turn on the television. Every advertisement, every marketing ploy is a pushing us to treasure something. And it's not just in a certain thing, it's usually in kind of an ideal of, okay, I want to treasure after power or pleasure or fill in the blank. And so we all want to treasure something and culture is telling us to glory and treasure in something. But what are we as Christians supposed to do? What's, what's our goal? What's our purpose? Um, and I think as we see throughout scripture, the main goal, the main pursuit of us and our treasure is to be Christ, is to behold, to look upon who Christ is and to see him as the all-surpassing worth. I think that's the, from Genesis to Revelation, we can see that that is the, the goal for us. And so I'm hoping today that we can get a glimpse of that, of what that will look like to treasure and behold the glory of Christ. And so, if you could open up your Bibles, we will be in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. And before we read, um, this, this book of Philippians was written um, by Paul, who on his second missionary journey we see in Acts 16, was traveling and came to this, um, this region of Philippi, where there were no Jewish people, or very few Jewish people. And so he went, shared the gospel with this woman named Lydia, and as we see after some persecution, there was um, growth, and as we see from this letter, there was a church that formed because of that. And so let us begin by reading Philippians chapter 3, verses 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to a law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him 
and the power of his resurrection and shared his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the, of the dead. And so we have here um, kind of a pursuit, again, of, of Paul wanting us to glory in Christ Jesus. And so the, a, simple, a simple way we can look at this, um, verse 1 is kind of just the, the transition from the chapters before, but verse 2 through 6 looks at the confidence in the flesh and kind of Paul expounds on what this is, but verses 2 through 6 look at the confidence in the flesh and then verses 7 to 11 looks at how we can glory in Christ Jesus. And so beginning, we see Paul telling them to beware, to look out. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And so these are, these are shocking terms. These are, these are terms that you wouldn't want to be called. Um, so beginning with, with the first one, he calls them dogs. These are actual people he's, he's calling dogs. And it's not maybe what we think of nowadays where there's some in this church who love dogs, who like really, really love dogs. I'm not gonna say who, I think you guys know who it is, but there's some in this church who really love dogs. And as we see throughout scripture and as we understand first century, dogs were not the domesticated pets that we think they are now. They were considered those who, throughout scripture we see as those who return to their own vomit, who lick the sores of those who are sick, who, it's the idea of, of dogs were unholy, they were ravenous creatures, and so it wasn't a good thing to be called dogs. It was um, a negative connotation to, to be called that. He also says, look out for the evildoers, these who are producing or doing evil. And then he says, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And so this was a big, a big thing throughout the first century. Um, what Paul is talking about here is those who mutilate the flesh. He's taking that, the negative side in verse 2, and then he's juxtaposing that with verse 3, where he says, We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And so as we understand Scripture and understand first century, we can see that this idea of mutilating the flesh was probably the biggest difficulty, the biggest problem the early church had. We understand in Acts 15 that, that the early church, as it was spreading, as it was growing, the, the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles and they went out to share the gospel. And they had a question of like, what, what does this mean for, for the Gentiles, for the, the non-Jewish people? What does it mean? Should they be circumcised? Should they have to go through the same right Jewish people went through of circumcision? And so there was a big, big disagreement about it. And then they held their first council in Acts 15 where they talked about, okay, what, what should we do about this? And so Paul shared his testimonies. Peter shared their testimonies of them seeing the same Holy Spirit that came on to them is the same Holy Spirit that came on to these Gentiles. And so Paul is talking in, in, in Galatians as well that, this is not right. We should not put something else on top of Gentiles like circumcision. Um, all that they, they should need is belief in Christ for them to be counted as Christians. And so 
Paul is, is talking about these people, calling them dogs, evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh, saying, this is not right. This is, this is an affront to the gospel, that the gospel is through, gra- through grace in, in Jesus Christ that we can be saved. It's not adding anything to it. And so anything else in addition to that is why Paul is so strong against these people saying, this is what, why, why I'm calling them dogs. This is why I'm calling them evil. This is why I'm calling them mutilating the flesh. Because in this, in, in this way of circumcision, it's a way of what he calls putting confidence in the flesh. Confidence in the flesh saying, I can add something in order to come to Christ, in order to, to receive the blessings. And so that's why Paul is so strong against this idea of confidence in the flesh. And so as we continue reading, we can see what, what this confidence in the flesh looks like and what, what it means. He says, again, in, in verses four through, through six, he kind of tells his own resume. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to a law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And this is the resume you would want. Uh, I j- just came back um, from school this, this past summer, and I've been applying to some jobs just because I need to make money and live. And so I've been applying to some jobs, and. I usually do, do pretty well talking with people. I can, I can talk with them and hopefully they think I'm professional. But as I'm talking with them, I'm, I'm, the, the question always comes up, so tell me about yourself. I'm like, okay. Um, so I got my associate's degree um, in, in advertising. I went four years in Costa Rica where I was, I was helping serve there. I came back and I'm pursuing my master's degree. And usually they're just like, wow, that, that, that's great. That, that's really cool. Like, I've never heard somebody like that. Um, and then the question comes up, so you're, you're pursuing a master's degree? Yeah, yes, yes, I am. Can you tell me what, what it's in? It's a master's of... Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry? It's a master's of divinity. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I didn't hear that. I said it's a master's of divinity. And usually, without fail, they go, oh, okay, why... Would you want to do that? Why would you want to spend your time studying something like that? And so that, my experience, is the opposite of what Paul had. Paul had the resume that you would want, the resume as a Jew, as, as any Jew that would look upon him and see. He had the work experience. He had the volunteer hours. He had the references. He had everything. As we see again, he, it says, I have... Um, I have more, circumcised on the eighth day. For all Jewish people, for all Jewish boys, looking back all the way to Genesis 17, we would see the mark of circumcision on the eighth day. If you were, if, if you were a Jewish male, you were circumcised. That was who you are, that was part of your identity, being a Jew. He says, of the people of Israel. This was God's chosen people, that God chose Israel through, through the covenant with Abraham, he would chose, choose a people, and he chose Israel. This was God's chosen people of the tribe of Benjamin. This was 
he, he could recall what tribe he was from, that he could say, oh, I'm, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. And this was a tribe in which the first King, king Saul came from. And so he's saying, yes, I'm, I'm from this, this tribe. And as we see, it kind of goes up the ladder of more importance when he says, a Hebrew of Hebrews. So he's saying, I'm not just Jewish. I'm like the top of the top Jewish person that you could think of. And then it goes more towards his, his action, his, his obedience. He says, as to a law, a Pharisee. Pharisees, as, as we read in the Gospels accounts, are the ones who know the law. Like from the time that they're like a young child, they have large portions of entire books of the Bible memorized. Like these are people who like know the law, know the Old Testament so well. He says, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Like Paul is, is saying, he's like, yes, so like if you remember who I was in the early parts of Acts, I was so zealous for this Jewish religion that anybody who would come up and attack and go against this Jewishness, I would persecute. We, we, we know that in the, the life of Stephen, that Paul gave orders for Stephen to be martyred, to be killed, to be stoned. And then he says, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He's like, if you try and throw something at me, it won't stick. He's like, by all accounts of the law, I would be considered blameless. I would be considered like almost perfect in that sense. And so this is what, what Paul is talking about when he is saying that he is putting confidence in the flesh. This is what the idea of, of confidence in the flesh is. It's, it's glorying in, in self, glorying in I. Um, but then we see something great happen. Starting in verse 7, this is, this is where the transition comes in. This is where the change happens. He says, but, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So he's saying, he's like, that, that gain that I, that I had and that gain that any Jewish person would say, I wish I, I lived like Paul. I wish I had Paul's resume. He's saying, it's all a loss. It's, it's, it's all a loss because of, of the sake of of Christ. Christ is, is what has changed this from glorying in, in himself, glorying in, in what he has done, to now glorying in Christ. But he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just say, but whatever gain I had, I count as loss. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So he's saying, not just that, I'm counting everything as loss because of Christ. And we'll get to that idea of, of what, what that loss is in a second. But he's saying, not only just what I have, but everything, any, any effort, any self-righteousness is a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, he, he adds to it, like I said, he says, for the sake of Christ in verse 7, but he says, knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, in verse 8. So it's a, a personal knowledge, it's a personal relationship with Christ. And what, hap what, what he says here is, Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, oftentimes in scripture, the, the, the normal, normal sense is Lord Jesus Christ. But this time he says, Christ Jesus, my Lord. And so it's not as though Lord Jesus Christ is his first, middle, and last name. He's, it's 
Jesus is his name, and the other ones are titles. And he's saying right here in verse 8, Christ, the Messiah, Jesus is my Lord. Like it's that, it's that personal relationship. It's that personal, okay, what, what it was before, is, it is now my own. It is personal to me. And so then as he continues to, to, to ramp it up again, he says, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And so he's saying, I count everything, not just as loss, but as rubbish. Like this is like the, the British person saying garbage. It's like rubbish. Like that's my best British accent. But he's saying it's, it's all garbage. It's, it's all rubbish and it's it's helpful as, as we as i was looking at this other other versions kind of help bring this out like it's it's not just garbage because like nobody in their right mind would go and collect garbage right you wouldn't like on garbage day whatever day of the week it is for you and your neighbors it's not like you go out to their garbage can steal their garbage bring it into your house like that's that's just like weird right um, I, I hope you say it's weird <laughs> And so he's saying it's garbage, but, but the King James Version, it says dung. And now that's, that's kind of a, a stark term, but Paul is saying that all of these things in which you put confidence in the flesh is not, it's not something that should be desired after. It's, it's garbage, it's rubbish, it's dung, because it won't get you what you need. And so all this... Um, all of these things have, have brought about a question, a question to me and a question, question to us today is like, what, what was he talking about when he was saying confidence in the flesh, confidence in the flesh for what? Like what, what is that confidence in the flesh trying to get me and why are these things that, that Paul is talking about, why is he saying that all of it is useless, all of it is worthless? We see right, right at the end of the verse, it says, in order that I may gain Christ. So Paul's saying that all of these things before, all of these, these things of, of my Jewishness not, aren't, aren't wrong in themselves. Like, like being a Jew wasn't, wasn't, wasn't wrong in itself. It's wrong in order to gain Christ. You can't gain Christ and what Christ offers you through any effort of your own, through any effort of, of what you have to bring. So we, we see here that it's a gaining of Christ. And so, yes, that, that is a, a gaining of his salvation and what he, he brings and the glorious treasure of what, what that is. But also, more than that, it's, um, or in addition to that, it is eternal life. It is adoption. It is entrance into the kingdom of God. This, this is all what gaining Christ means. And so he's saying it's useless. It's futile in order to try and do this on your own, in your own righteousness sake. And so in a, in a, in a simple way to put it, I don't know if I have any math people out there, but the, the equations of like the greater sign and less than, he's pretty much saying Christ is greater than all other things. Christ is always greater than whatever else, whatever resume that there is. And so as we see here, just just a, a summary so we can continue going on. It says, um, those who are put their, their confidence in the flesh, those Judaizers that he talks about in verse two, Paul looking at his own resume saying, 
this is my confidence I have in the flesh. And he lists it all out. He's saying, it's all worthless. Confidence in the flesh, to, in Paul's mind, is loss, is garbage, is dung, because of gaining Christ. And so, we need to, to ask ourselves, how is Christ gained in our life? How is Christ seen as a treasure, as such a glorious pursuit, as supreme as, as he is in Paul's life? How can that be true in my life? And so Paul, first off, rejects the self-righteousness, but then he, he goes on further to, to elaborate, um, starting in end of verse 8 and verse 9. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And so he's saying that the way to gain Christ is not through your self-righteousness, but it's through faith. He says it first in the negative way, not being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, which we saw in verses two through, through six. That's the righteousness that, that's coming from your own in efforts to try to gain Christ, coming from the law of strict obedience like the Judaizers, of I must perform circumcision, I must do these things in an effort to gain Christ and the blessings that he has. But then he says it in a positive light, but that which comes through faith in Christ. So faith is the way in which we glory in Christ. Faith turns our eyes off of ourselves and glories in Christ. And so where, where the flesh, where, where um, the confidence in the flesh says, yes, in my doing, in my obedience of circumcision or in my obedience of the law, I can gain Christ. In my obedience, in my confidence of what I have done, I can gain Christ. In my confidence in my birthright or my ethnicity or the lifestyle that I have chosen, I can gain Christ. Paul is saying that can't be true. And so he's, he's saying flesh says I can, where faith says he can. Let me repeat that. He says flesh says I can. Faith says he can. Flesh is the, the, the confidence that we have in ourselves. This is I can do it myself to gain Christ, where faith takes our eyes off of ourselves and says, he can. And so then we need to, to understand and unpack this idea of, of faith. Faith, what, what does it look like? What, what does it mean? Um, how, can, how can this faith please God is, is the question. How, if, if we are to live in faith and we are to, to walk in faith, how can this faith please God? Well, we understand in, in Hebrews 11, it talks about, for without faith, it is impossible to please God. So we know that faith is needed in efforts to please and to treasure Christ. And so how can this happen? So the question, how does faith please God? I have three kind of quick, quick responses to that. So how does faith please God? Number one, it removes the confidence we can put in our flesh. Faith removes the confidence we can put in our flesh. Faith looks off of ourselves and says, says in order to gain Christ, it is 0% me, like 0.0000% me. 
and it is 100% Christ in which I can gain Christ. It, it looks, it, it doesn't look at itself, it looks outward toward Christ, towards the one who can fulfill it. Number two, the question of how does faith please God? Number two, it says, where flesh says, look what I have done, faith says, he has already done. As, as, as we saw in, 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 verse, in verse seven, it's the but. Paul's writing all these things and then he says, but. He's, he says, look at this resume, look at all of everything that I myself and others consider me to have success. He says, but, but God, but, but I count it all as loss because of Christ. And so where flesh says, look what I have done, faith says, what, what, I, can, what I can try and do is broken obedience, is broken law, is inability of myself to do what God has called me to, recognizing I can, I, in my power I, I cannot do this, and says, Christ has already done this for me on the cross. Faith is outward looking. And finally, how does faith please God? The third way I, I thought of was that it prizes Christ and his grace over our efforts. Faith prizes Christ. It's, it's that treasure language. It's that surpassing worth that it's not just, oh, okay, I have Jesus and that's what it is. It's a continuous surpassing worth. It's the prizing of Christ and his grace in our lives over anything that we could possibly do. And so Paul, in this, in this passage in, in Philippians 3, is so concerned, is so thoughtful about the worthiness of Christ that he wants everybody to know that the worthiness of Christ comes not in my own effort, not in, not in what I can do, but in Christ. Because that's, that's the story of, of Scripture. When we look at, at faith, we look at, it's not just a New Testament idea, it's, it's Old Testament, that beginning in Genesis, that God created everything. And it, was, and it was perfect, and it was great, and it was good, but sin entered into the picture. Adam and Eve sinned, they had disobeyed, they had turned away from God and said, no, 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 like, I don't want what you have to offer. I can find it on my own. I, I can find a better way on my own. I don't want what you say. Your, yours, your way is too constricting. Your way is too, too difficult for me. I don't want that. But God did not leave us without a promise. God, God knows us so well that he knows we're incapable, incapable of this. And so he gave us a promise. In Genesis 3, he said that I will send somebody to destroy the head of the serpent, who will crush the head of the serpent, and no longer will the serpent reign. And so from the time of Genesis 3 all the way to Revelation, we see that this plan of God is, is going into effect, that he's saying, this is not going to happen. I know you guys can't do it on yourselves. I know that you will always fail, but I'm going to give you a promise. And so we, we see that promise in Genesis 3, but then we continue to see that throughout all of Scripture, that God is going on mission to show us, his people, that the best way for life is a, is a life of faith because he is giving us what we truly 
desperately need. And through faith, it is, it is prizing him. And so the Old Testament continues on from, from Genesis, and, and we see in the time of Exodus that they're looking for liberation. They're looking for freedom from, from the Egyptian people. And God, once again, promises them a redeemer. And we get that in a picture of, of Moses. As a failed redeemer as he was, we, we see a picture of this. And so we continue on, and we see that even in the time of the promised land, when, when they were promised the land that they were given in, in Genesis 12 and 15, we, we see that promise, but we see it once again broken. We see it imperfect. We see just our frailty and our inability. But God says, trust me, I have a plan. And throughout that, he is able to free his people. He's able to give them the land. But still, they, they failed. As we read throughout the prophets and the Old Testament, we see they failed. They had chosen other gods. They had chosen other things to be their master, to, to be their greatest treasure. But once again, God shows us that anything else outside of him cannot bear the weight of, of that. Anything else is not a treasure in itself. And so God, even though they, they, they go into exile, promises a Messiah, promises a Redeemer, somebody who will bring his people back. And so 2,000 years ago, in a manger, a little baby was born by Jesus, fully God, fully man, and he said, I am going to save my people, that he's willing from heaven to give up his glory that is due to him to come and to be humiliated as a little baby. And he says, I'm going to, to live this life in such a way that is going to be perfectly obedient, that no matter what comes at me, no matter what temptation, no matter what, what struggle is thrown at me, I, I am perfect because I am Christ. And so he goes and living a perfect, sinful life righteous in, in the eyes of God, he takes on our sin, our punishment, our death. Because sin has to be judged. Sin, sin, sin has to have a judgment because God and sin aren't eternal. God will judge sin. And so on the person of Christ, he judges sin. And his wrath is poured out for, for those who love him and it is taken away. So those who have faith in Christ may be seen as Jesus is seen. And so that's, that's the beauty of faith. It's that through faith, we can be seen as Jesus is seen in God's eyes. That we're not seen as the, the broken, in, incapable people that we can be. But we are seen in such a way that God says, I see you as righteous. Not a righteousness of your own, because your own righteousness is garbage. Your own righteousness is worthless. Your own righteousness is dung. He's saying, my righteousness is perfect, and it is right, and it covers you through faith. And so faith glorifies its object. Faith is glorifying Christ because faith is the means and the manner in which we can come to know, know Christ. And so this is a big, a, a, the, the main idea for, for today is a life that demonstrates the worthiness of Christ is a life lived 
in faith, not the flesh, which grows through an increasing knowledge of him, experiencing his power and fellowship with him. Let me just repeat that one more time. A life that demonstrates the worthiness of Christ is a life lived in faith, not the flesh, which grows through an increasing knowledge of him, experiencing of his power and fellowship with him. And so you might be thinking, okay, like, I have a relationship with Christ. I, I, I came to know the Lord. Does that mean it just, it just stops? Like, is, is, do I not have to continue to, to walk in faith? You do. And Paul, I think, tells us three ways in which, we ha- in which we can continue to treasure Christ. And so let us look at verse 10. He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so if we truly believe what Jesus has done, if we truly believe and have, have faith, not just not just a informational knowledge of what Christ has done, but we truly have faith in what Jesus has done, taking away all of our sins, and we are seen righteous from God's sight. No sin, no stain, no blemish. That should change things. And so I think he gives three things here. He says, and that you may know him. It's, it's a continuous knowledge of him that... Jesus is worthy. And so, do we treasure Christ? My question to you is then, are we growing in knowledge of him? See, what what we treasure is we usually pursue after. If we treasure treasure happiness, we're going to pursue after happiness. If we treasure wealth, we're going to go after wealth. So do we treasure Jesus in knowing him? And so, that makes scripture reading all the more important. That... This isn't just a book of, of rules. It's not just a book of, oh, I have to do this, I have to do that. It's a book, first and foremost, about God, that scripture is telling us who God is, and we see that cl- most clearly in the person of Jesus, that we could look and read scripture and be like, this is the heart of my God. This is, this is who he is. I want to know him. And so if, if you don't have a growing desire to know him, that's a, that, that's a, that's a flag. That, that's something that I, wish, I hope that you will come to Christ and be like, God, I want to know you. That, that's, that's a prayer that I know Christ delights in answering. God, like, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what's going on right now. I don't, I don't treasure you right now. I don't have a desire to know you right now. That's an honest and open prayer in which God delights to answer. That's a prayer I've prayed in which God has answered because God wants us to see him as a treasure because that's the reality of it. He is our treasure. So first is do we treasure in Christ? Do we know him? But secondly, it talks about the power of his resurrection. So this is more an experiential side. And so obviously this this is true, but it, 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 an experience on us, the power of the resurrection. For all those who are in Christ, they are new creatures. They have gone from death to life. And this is such, this is a transformation that says, the old is gone, the new has come. I have given you a new heart. 
I've given you new desires. I have given you what you need. And so do you treasure in Christ with your experience, with your emotions? Because it's, again, it's, the Bible is not just a do this, oh, I, I hate doing this, but I have to because my pastor tells me or I know it's right to, to read the Bible. But do we treasure Christ in our emotions, in our experience, looking and knowing that he has done, done this for us and he has transformed us inside? And thirdly, and finally, it says, and may share his sufferings. And now, th this one comes up and it's just like, okay, the first two I can get on board with, but sharing and suffering, that seems to be much more difficult. Like, Paul, why'd you have to say we can share in suffering? I think, I think he's saying this because this is the way in which is most clearly, most evidently, people can glory and treasure in Christ. Because as you look at the world around us, you see people, some people with money, some people with nice houses, nice cars, whatever it may be. And it's like, okay, like, yeah, why would I not want to follow a God who would give you that kind of stuff? Why would I not want to follow a God who, who gives you a brand new house? Like, that would be like, okay. But I think the greater testimony, the greater way in which Christ is honored is when suffering happens, when difficulties occur. I was probably the last year talking with my one friend, mentor, who had just recently gone through a difficult, difficult divorce. His wife had been found to be cheating on him, and I, I, I can't imagine what, what that would be. Like, the, the difficulty that that would have to, to go through as, as such an intimate relationship of, of marriage would be. And he called me one night just broken down, broken and just in a place of hopelessness, in a place of un un uncertainty. But I remember him saying, he's like, if God had brought this suffering so that I may draw closer to Christ, it's worth it. And so I, I saw that and I was just, I was blown away. Like, not, he wasn't saying, yeah, I'm glad it happened. But in the midst of suffering, he was prizing Christ and saying, Christ, if, if you are using this as a way to make me more like you, it's worth it. And so is that our understanding of suffering? How do we view suffering? And is it a way to treasure Christ? And so as we look at, at, this, at this passage, once again, I think Paul's just main idea is that a life that demonstrates the worthiness, the treasure, the supremeness of Christ is a life lived in faith, a life that says, okay, Christ, it's through you, nothing of my own, not the flesh, which grows through an increasing knowledge of him, experiencing his power and fellowship with him. Let us pray. Dear God, um, we thank you so much just for who you are, God, that you are a great an awesome God, um, that we can see you as such a great treasure, God, that, that that is the reality of life, that you are a surpassing worth, that you are the greatest treasure that we could seek, desire, and want.
God, so I pray that you can use the words of scripture today that will guide us and lead us to see that as true. That we may turn from any self-righteousness of, of saying, God, look at what I've done in, in efforts to try and, and gain Christ and gain his blessings. And we will look solely to you as the sole treasure who has given us the gift of faith that we may behold your beauty, be seen as righteous as you are. God, and so I pray that you can help us today, that your spirit will lead and guide us into truth, enlighten us, enlighten our hearts, that we can focus on you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.